0: Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast.
1: We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports.
0: We're your hosts. I'm Connor.
1: I'm Sam. And I'm Justin. You ready to get started?
2: Let's send it!
0: Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode 31, and you may have noticed a little bit of a different intro there at the beginning. Our own... Justin Geiger is officially a part of the podcast. It's been a long time coming, honestly, and uh, yeah, Justin, welcome officially to the Emerald City fandom team, and you're a full time member of the the podcast now. How are you doing tonight?
1: Great. I'm really glad we could settle our contract dispute and make sure that <laughs> I was able to, you know, find a find a home here because I love being on with you guys. So um, it's a treat, really. So thank you. And yeah, by that agent. he
2: and by that he basically means it took him, you know, almost a full year to get through our our hazing initiation. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> he had to be called water boy this many times. You're gonna love what I have to drink tonight, by the way.
2: Oh, can't wait. Let's go
1: ahead, get it started. Go ahead. Oh, am I leading out? Okay. Um in my nice big ass Columbia water bottle, I have some pristine H2O um. I really, oh. again, it's really a shame how much I run out of alcohol, but again, alas, we've we've run out, so it's water tonight. Oh, man. The, the silence is just so, it just speaks for itself. That's louder than any words you could say.
2: Do you see my eyes? These are judgmental <laughs> eyes.
1: Yeah. So I like how you brought this up
0: after we recorded the intro. You know that I can still just leave the old intro in there and we can just cut this whole thing right now, but... Oh, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: my Lanta. I won't.
0: I won't. It's a pleasure to have you, Justin. That's okay. You're still water boy, so you're there we go. just honestly... I'm sure one of you toniker. has something more
1: exciting than water, right?
0: Yeah, Sam, get us started, Well, Since Justin won't.
2: <laughs> so I've got some Tennessee Sour Mash Bourbon Whiskey from Trader Joe's. That's the go-to. It definitely is trying to be like jack but it ain't jack so i'm hoping that i can just polish this one off and go back to the old faithful old number seven
0: you said their scotch is actually pretty decent but their bourbon mash is like okay
2: yeah i mean they have a couple of other bourbons like they have a winter wheat bourbon that i really like oh you've
0: mentioned that before but this
2: is their like white labeled kentucky straight bourbon okay and For being $1 cheaper than Jack, it's not worth it. Gotcha. What about you, Connor? What are you sipping on?
0: You might give me a hard time because I am in a hard seltzer mood tonight. I did just have a Oh my
2: goodness. I'm going to need to find some new co-hosts. A Topo Chico. Topo Chico. Have you guys had
0: the Topo Chico hard seltzers?
1: Never the hard seltzer, no.
0: Mm. I'm a big Topo Chico fan in general. I love some mineral water. We have it at work. And the Topo Chico hard seltzers are the way to go. They just have, they have better flavors and it's not quite as in your face as like a white claw or a tr- Truly's are the worst, honestly, like truly. Like, yeah.
2: I didn't know you were such a hard seltzer connoisseur.
1: Well, if I'm feeling bloated, this is the better way to go.
2: Nope. Um, no, it ain't. All right. Whiskey.
1: So uh, no, no question. What do you drink when you're bloated?
2: Whiskey. I don't get bloated.
1: <laughs> oh, well, Amen. I mean
0: I just uh, it just depends what kind of mood I'm in like tonight I had like a I had a um, vodka with um, some of our pink rosé vermouth and then top of club soda and that's like a nice light spritzer that doesn't take up a lot of room in the stomach um, but yeah I, I definitely avoid beer if I'm loaded <laughs> like <laughs> we'll just say that but yeah, yeah i mean whis- whiskey is one of the options it's just too damn hot for whiskey right
2: now so ice 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 baby i don't care it's just it, whiskey
0: burns i i don't want it right now
2: yeah well i guess it just leaves me but speaking <laughs> of okay. your guys's liqueurs i don't know if we talked about it on the podcast or not but you asked you told us we should go to kelnero in Edmonds. Which yeah uses a lot of your product and it was amazing did you hear that or you probably did? They opened a new place in Edmonds called Venero, I think. Oh no, I haven't heard this. It's a it's like a wine bar like okay. cheese sandwich place. And so, so it's
0: kind of like a similar like like apps and like or like bites and drinks yes. place, but more wine forward than it is like cocktail yeah. forward.
2: Got I haven't it. been there yet, but they took over a pretty prominent location. So the cheesemonger t- the cheesemonger's table was like a go-to spot in Edmonds and it was there for many, many years. And mm-hmm. the owners of that place retired and they sold the location off to the owners of Kelnero. So I need to check that place out. But if you're in Edmonds, Kelnero, start your, start your night with a drink there and go get a bite to eat somewhere else and maybe cap it off at Venero. I think
0: that's, yeah, what they I make amazing doing. cocktails at Kelnero. They do a really good job there. Sam, what did you have when you were there? Do you remember?
2: Um, I don't. I mean, it definitely had whiskey in it. That's for sure. It was Mm -hmm. more, I don't remember the name of it, but it was like a smoky whiskey cocktail, kind of like their own more smoky, less sweet take on an old fashioned, I would say. Okay. I had to describe it. And the other shout out to Kelnero is their popcorn is legit. You can have another popcorn, five different flavors. You can get like cinnamon sugar, popcorn. Whoa. Like Uh, chili lime popcorn chipotle popcorn so it's a really cool place to get a drink and a little bite to eat so might as well shout them out while it was on on my mind
0: yeah support local business even though we're coming out of the pandemic still do that folks they they still need it so calnaro is a great spot in edmonds if you guys are in in town
2: and Um, i guess on the weekends in edmonds while we're on it they do walk walkable main street if you haven't been mm -hmm. friday through sunday they close the whole main drag of Edmonds, So it's only pedestrian traffic and all the restaurants and bars bring tables out and the shops come out towards the street and it's just a good vibe, the music and stuff. So check it out.
0: Last little thing before we move on to actual sports and the content that people want to listen to. We should start another
2: podcast. Maybe.
0: (laughs) Possibly. I don't know. Justin, are you interested? Cool. Um, The Another restaurant that uh, my company Brovo is in in Edmonds is Fire and the Feast. Have you been there, Sam?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. That's so a big one. We're in
0: there too. So we like we like that place as well. Katie and I went for brunch like a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago. I like there's it's like it's I like how they have it's such a unique um, clash of like food types with like soul food and italian food kind of yeah is like what they're going after i think they literally call it like an italian soul food is whatever is like their moniker
2: yeah um that's so. owned by like the the food barons of Edmonds. that's the same owners as salt and iron same owners mm-hmm. as sankai sushi yep. and so now they've got their sushi place they're more seafood american steak place in salt and iron and then fire in the feast is kind of like you said an interesting take on more or less italian cajun soul food right it's, it's pretty good i'm a big fan
0: yeah, yeah. so anyway little sports out to them too so yeah sports now <laughs> okay <laughs> well every time that we have justin on the episode and now he's going to be basically on every episode we typically start off with sounders at least when they're playing which they are right now they're 11 matches through the season justin and still unbeaten, undefeated, undefeated well, through eleven matches. That's
2: not. I mean, they've tied four times.
0: Is that a defeat?
2: No, but it's not like no. That, they've literally, won every literally every leave game it off. And no,
0: no, it's not. It's they. They are unbeaten through eleven matches.
2: But twenty-five tied. points. It's great, but it just I just doesn't sit well with me.
0: So you would rather be 11 or no, obviously, but like, well, yeah, yeah.
2: wouldn't you?
1: Well, sure. But like,
2: what (laughs) does that that
0: ever happen?
1: Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's really hard, especially in a MLS schedule and all the travel, especially with us based in Seattle that we have to do. Um, Unbeaten is really, really hard to do. So it is, it's kind of unprecedented through 11 games. Not many teams have done that.
0: Yeah, and they do lead the supporters shield race, which is obviously the top spot in MLS, both conferences, um through 11, 11 matches. They have twenty-five points. I think they're two points ahead or one point. Mm-hmm. One or
1: of uh of KC and New England. New England,
0: yeah. What is the
2: supporters um, shield?
0: Supporters shield's basically like the the winner of the regular season. Okay. Essentially, between the two conferences. And so then whoever the- has the most points at the top of the table between the two conferences wins the Supporters shield sounders have done it once
2: I and then think. through the playoffs you would win the mls cup right that's what Correct. it's called Correct. yeah yep. okay
0: so a, tri- a triple in american soccer would be uh u.s open cup which is that called something else now
1: no or is it it's still, still U.S. That. open cup
0: okay are they just not doing it this year
1: i don't think so okay
0: anyway u.s open cup uh supporter shield and uh, the MLS cup would be like the treble. I don't know if anyone has actually ever done that. Um, yeah. I need to I know, check
1: with the stat uh, interns that we have here on the show. I know Too that much.
0: the Sounders have done each, but not in a, a single season. So
1: I didn't know that. Yeah. But so Sam, for your context there, after seven games, there were only two teams that were unbeaten us in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I think we had two ties and five wins at that time. And Nashville had two wins and five draws for your reference. And oh there wow! This, and so you know, there's a difference there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we definitely have more wins than draws. So I, I think it's a pretty good unbeaten. So for yeah. for your also the EPL, which I did, which I cover on my other podcast. Yep. Um, Arsenal are known as the Invincibles when they went undefeated like 15 years ago, or longer now, and they had like 13 or 14 draws or something like that. And so yeah. that's like considered one of the best seasons ever because they didn't lose a game.
2: Yeah, I mean it's definitely impressive for sure. Yes, yes. I just so hear some undefeated respect on the Sounders' name. Sam, hey, I'm not talking smack on the Sounders. <laughs> just I'm just saying, like when I hear, are you undefeated... talking shit
1: about Christian Roll right now?
2: No, 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 not no, no. He would never. Just everybody else. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> uh,
0: the other, the other impressive stat here. Is the fact that until this last match they had not allowed a goal in open play? Justin, do you want to kind of explain that to our listeners? Okay. Just like I what can a goal. In, oh, okay, Sam, no, please do it. Yeah, please, I can ahead, get Sam. behind
2: that stat. That's legit as a defenseman on for the Lad Squad.
0: Okay, it, but how ha- you
2: know, I appreciate some good defense. Let's explain it to
0: our listeners though, so like those that don't watch soccer actually kind of understand what a goal from open play is. It's, I mean, kind of. It should be somewhat self-explanatory, but just in case it isn't, just so it's clear.
1: Yeah, so for open play, that means anything that is in normal attacking soccer, so any fluid play, so, you know, there's a cross from the side or there's some dribbles or a through ball or whatever it means. Non-open play would be penalty kicks, meaning the main one, a free kick or a corner kick are the main things that are not open play because it's called a set piece, right? So that is uh, up until this game is the only way the Sounders have been scored on.
2: Well, isn't that even more impressive this season, considering our starting goalkeeper Stefan Fry is still hurt and has Dude. been well, hurt like the en- entire yeah. season? Didn't he get hurt in the first game?
1: No, it uh, was like, like game six
0: or something. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Oh. Been a, he, he's been in about half the games. I think at this oh.
2: point. Oh, wow.
1: I mean, still though. I mean, to yeah, allow, I th- yeah, it's impressive.
0: And he's. I mean, we still don't know when he's going to be back. So, like, yeah, impressive nonetheless. And. I mean, obviously you want to talk the formation and stuff, but I did, I do want to give like a little bit of an analogy, which I kind of appreciated and liked to football and kind of like what that would look like in a football stance and uh, being not allowing an open goal or an open play goal through 11 matches, basically be kind of like not allowing a touchdown in your first several games as a defense right like you would allow field goals maybe but not a touchdown type thing right and that's kind of like what like if you're looking at the equivalent of like a field goal would be like a set piece goal or whatever and then an open play goal would be more like a touchdown like that's kind of what it's like a little bit it's it's a little bit of an analogy with football just to get a better sense at like maybe how impressive really that is
1: yeah it's uh, they they don't even keep that stat to be honest yeah it's, with you. So it's, that's how it's a precedent. record for sure we just don't know who
0: they beat like right because yeah, like, they don't
1: that's not a stat readily available it's not something that you know the stat makers would think you even have to track right because okay. it happens like you get scored on within like the first three games normally so it's not like a right. record to be broken right so this will be the new record yes And yeah, just to be clear, folks, they
0: had allowed—they have allowed goals in their first ten matches. I guess it was the Mm eleventh match that they had—they had open play goals. They did allow goals, but they were all from set pieces or penalty kicks. None of them were from an open play. So, like Justin was saying, a through ball, like basically in open play. Um, Injuries, real quick, I want to touch on those. I guess, oh, we want to touch on the formation, though. So how does the formation play into this, Justin? Like, you you were so high on this formation going into the season. I was. Um, and they, it, it is a new formation for the Sounders, and you thought that it suited them from a personnel standpoint. I was a little bit more skeptical, um, and I think I was outward about that. But you were very high on it, and, I I mean, you've you've been right, at least the first third of the season. So explain how, how this formation has possibly – Helped them um, achieve these kinds of numbers through the first 11 matches of the season.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so what I had said going into the beginning of the season is that we don't have the wide play in the outside midfielders that we used to. And right. so because we have good wing backs, but I was shitting on Alex Roldan a little bit. I, I take it all back. <laughs> um, because we have good wing backs, Sam's shaking his head at me. Um, we can bomb forward on the sides, and that way we can utilize and have a really solid defensive block at three at the back. We can have wing backs that provide that support, which almost allows an extra attacker if you think about the total number on the soccer field. And then we have that really solid middle of the play with Nico Ladero, who's since been injured all year, and that makes it even more impressive as our arguably our best player has been out the whole year. Um, Christian Roldan, who's really solid and Joe Paulo are three best midfielders that we thought going into the regular season would control that center of the park. And then you have Rui Diaz and a Bruin and or Montero, um, leading the attack. And that's worked really nicely. I mean, Rui Diaz has been one of the best strikers in the league so far because of his poaching and ability and the service he's gotten in that box from a Brad Smith and an Alex Roldan on the right. So I think it's, I mean, (laughs) clearly it's been working really, really well. Yeah, for
0: sure. And you mentioned it there. Nico Ladero has been out all but twenty minutes, basically, of yeah. this entire season, and he's been listed as day to day, basically, since the beginning of May. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, who uh, I knows know it's going to uh, be back.
1: Schmetzer came out, I think, three weeks ago and said he'd hope him, he'd hope to have him back by mid July, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who's been and the captain
2: d- while he's out?
1: Well, Fry was, um, and then he got injured, and now it's your boy Christian Roldan.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> I did. Definitely didn't know that. Oh yeah. yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Look, Just, Sam, you're, you're, you're spinning this the wrong way. Cause Justin and I like Christian Roldan. You like you, you make it seem like we don't like him,
1: but.
2: I feel I mean, like he probably deserves a little bit more love from you. I really
1: too. like Roldan. I don't think he's good enough for the USMNT, but I think he's a really good player for that especially in the that. MLS.
2: Well, USMNT, I mean, we've got World Cup championship future with, with the young guns. That We should have another podcast section about them when it's relevant. When, it, when World Cup when is coming when up. When there's some when qualifiers we, yeah. coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah. could do that. Because... You know, I'm not the biggest MLS fan, and I don't contribute to the you know Sounders talk here as much. But USMNT, you'll be hard pressed to find a more passionate, <laughs> patriotic fan than. This I know.
1: Guy. I mean, we watched the us three. We watched the 2014 game against Belgium all together. That Correct. dates us a little bit, but yeah, that was uh Sam was jumping off the couch every Tim Howard save. I think. Oh. Uh, Chris Wondolowski is dead oh, to me. He's dead to all of us for sure. Uh, but I've watched a few US Mexico games with sam and that's a that's a Mm. good time for sure
2: how about that last one that was a classic
1: yeah it was yeah it was in the nation's league oh yeah yeah that was one of the best games between us and mexico that i've seen yes
0: yeah hands down it was was epic
1: yeah yeah that was really
0: that was really fun um sam give yourself a little bit of credit i think this is about as much as you've talked during a sounders segment since we've like talked sounders on this podcast though so you you're contributing, man. Like it's give yourself a, some credit here.
2: It's been a month since I've talked to you guys. I'm just excited to see you.
0: Yeah, man. I know. I know. It has been a month. I guess I forgot to <laughs> mention that right off the bat with this podcast. Apologize, folks. It's been kind of a slow month, like news wise, I guess, on the sports that we typically focus on in in uh on this podcast. I mean, the sounders took a three-week break, even if we were just talking soccer on this podcast, it'd be a pretty slow slow time of year. Um, and then all of us have just been really busy too. We were trying to get a podcast going last week and it just didn't, didn't work out. So we're here with you this week. Anything else that you want to talk Sounders?
1: Um, I don't think so. I think one of the, uh, just nothing that you missed. I think just a couple notes that expected goals. I've explained that many moons ago on this podcast. And the Sounders have only had two games this entire year that the expected goals for the other team has been higher, which you know my, my it was pretty confusing stat, but that's really impressive to say like only two times have the opponent's chances been better than yours. So not only are the Sounders scoring, but they're creating more chances than the other team, which. In away games in MLS soccer, when you're playing eight or three games in eight days with this schedule, it's really tough to do with the rotations that you have to make. So I think it's surprising the fact that the depth has been good for this team. Yeah. It's a good point.
0: It's a good point. Um, what's our uh, goal differential right now? Do you have that uh, in front plus
1: 13? Pretty 20 good. 20 goals, seven allowed. Really, yeah. really good through good. Um, 11 games for sure. Yeah, over a goal, better a game than our opponent
0: per match. So that's pretty good. Um, next match, July fourth on. Yeah, uh, against on uh, I think away Day. at the Rapids. Yep, Colorado six p.m. I think on Sunday. So tune into that, folks. I don't. Is that on Joe TV, Amazon Prime, or is that a FS One uh, game d- or I, something?
1: I don't know offhand. I'll have to look okay. that up. Well, I'm sure our our listeners can
0: do that too if if you don't get a chance before the end of the episode but tune in to the next uh, uh, tune into the next match for the Sounders uh it's on on the 4th of July if if before you start lighting off some fireworks or whatever you're doing that that evening 6 6 p.m. the Sounders have a match um should be light out still at that point so no fireworks to look at at that point i'm really hoping that my neighbor actually doesn't light no, off fireworks. Joe Jo TV and Prime Video okay so it is one of those okay I'm really hoping that my neighborhood doesn't light off fireworks though. Cause my dog hates fireworks. So plus, you know, it was just 110 degrees a couple days ago. So it's pretty dry out there right now.
2: Has not rained in a minute?
0: <laughs> yep. I think there's going to be some, some major wildfires again this, this year, unfortunately, but let us move on. Uh, Sounders again, match on Sunday, July 4th, Mariners talk. Mariners 42 and 39 at exactly the halfway point of the season, or I guess, is it? Yes. Yeah. 81. Yeah. 81 games. Yeah. 42 and 39. Um, definitely I'd say overachieving (laughs) at this point, but, um, a gritty team, I, if there was one word to describe this team, at least for me right now, it would be gritty. They tend to grind out wins, especially in games that are, are close. Um, just a quick couple stats for you guys here in extra innings which they just won an extra inning game against Toronto tonight 9 to 7 in extra inning games they are 9 and 1 this year so they've had 10 extra inning games of the 81 that they've played and they're 9 and 1 and in one run games they are 18 and 7 so that just kind of shows my point that this team is gritty they like to pull out close victories they also tend to get smacked whenever they lose, <laughs> so uh, I think their run differentials awful. Let me see if I have it in front of me here.
1: Negative forty seven.
0: Negative forty seven. Yeah, negative forty seven is not typically a winning record. Um, Damn. Type of type of club. So it, it you could take that one of two ways. You know that they maybe haven't played to the best of their ability, and that yet they're still forty two and thirty nine, or you could take it as A sign of things to come and that they've just gotten lucky and you know they're they're bound to be a pretty long losing streak at at some point during this the rest of this this season so i want to know your i want to i want to gauge your guys's just kind of obviously like interest in the mariners at the halfway point of the season and uh level of optimism going into the second half of the season for this team. And if it's any different than like any of the other teams that we've experienced, you know, for the past 20 years. So Sam, why don't you start?
2: Um, I I feel very similarly to how I felt coming into the season. Still. Mm -hmm. I I'm not ready to say that I feel differently than any of the other teams in the last 20 years that were in more or less a halfway decent spot going into the all-star break and then just Mm -hmm. collapse the second half of the season I think that's still very much a possibility, but there definitely are reasons for optimism. I think you called out the most important one is this team knows how to win those close games. And I think that's so important, especially down the stretch to feel like the team has been there before. They have a level of confidence in those situations that, Hey, we always find a way to pull this out. They expect to to win those close games is a really important mentality to have and to really earn throughout the the length of a season and I think the other thing that I'd point out as a reason to optimism is we've had the injury bug in a big way with this yep. team I mean you look at the opening day roster and the rosters that we've put out we have some of the key players the key names that you would think of or that we covered coming into the season haven't really been here in full swing I mean James Paxton off the top of my head. Kyle Lewis is probably our best player has been in and out. He's missed more games than he's played. I would imagine at this point, you know, you get all excited about Jared Kelnick. He's had no presence on the team yet. I know there's a handful more injuries that we've had. So I think you add in that element, the fact that we still are above 500, keeping our head above water. We're still in contention. We haven't played ourselves out of the playoffs yet. There's definitely reason for optimism, but I don't think that I've seen anything this far that's like, oh, hell yeah, we're a playoff team. But and, and that's what I mean by I feel the same way as I did in the beginning of the year. Like there's a lot to take away in a positive way. There's things to be excited about, but I don't feel like they've done enough to move me out of the, you know, I'll believe it when I see it type mode I don't know Justin what are you, are you in the same boat there?
1: I echo a lot of your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, we've uh, it, it's probably unfair because every year is different, but I've just been scarred by this team too many times to We all have. move out of the phase at 42 and 39 of the I'll believe it when I see it phase. Um mm. tons of tons of optimism, and I think I went into this year as, you know, if we can show some signs of progress and really actually contend in 2022, then I'm I as a Mariners fan uh, would be happy uh, just because going into the, I didn't expect a ton with this roster. So the fact that we're here with the injuries that Sam mentioned is impressive. I am a little concerned because we are ninth worst in run differential in the entire league. And we are winning some crazy games. Uh, Connor, i am sure, I'm sure you've seen, um, on twitter like the win probability graphs of all these mariners games but it's like a sure. roller coaster and then it shoots back up as you alluded right. to with these extra inning games so mm-hmm. they are they can come back and win close games or extra inning games but you know it it's tough we'll see what the run-in looks like but you know i if they can finish 500 i think that's a successful year for them
0: yeah, I totally agree with that. If if they're right around 500, I think that's that's a good year just given this roster and where it's at right now and where the development's at in the whole system, the organization. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about the pieces that like possibly we're interested in like keeping going forward and like that you should look for us to build around in years to come if like it all comes to fruition in 2022 and 2023 like we all hope that it will. And one of the guys that we knew was on the chopping block going into this year was Kikuchi. You say Kikuchi was massively underperforming his contract. He has an option. I think it's a four year option after this year that we can exercise or not exercise. And it was a long shot. that That was going to be even remotely an option. And it, I'm, Give him credit. He has performed so well this year. He he has a 3.34 ERA. Again, that's a very basic statistic in baseball. You now they have a lot more advanced stats, but like, just like basic stats here, he's leading the team in ERA. He's leading the team in strikeouts. He's leading the team in, in innings pitched. He has definitely been the workhorse in the starting rotation and been the quote unquote ACE for this starting rotation. And You've seen flashes of brilliance. This guy can throw 97 from the left side. And he has some of the dirtiest off-speed pitches, too. Like, he has it all to be a true ace in this league. And he's finally showing it. Like, this is what we tried to acquire from Japan three years ago. I don't know what you guys' feelings about Yusei Kikuchi are. Um But I I do think that this is a piece that you probably want to exercise that option and have him a part of your starting rotation for the next number of years to come. Um, Where are you guys at on on Yusei Kikuchi?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I echo a lot of your thoughts. I mean, I'm just trying to figure out, I'm on ESPN looking at some stats and how they have him at zero wins above replacement. Do they really? Yeah, I, I just can't believe that's right. That surprises me for sure. Yeah, they have it in at 0. 0.0. Our leader, according to them, is J.P. Crawford at 2.8. I believe that. But
0: um, the biggest thing with Kikuchi, I guess, that he's struggled with is getting deep into games, but he's done that a lot more this year. He's gotten six or seven innings pretty consistently, and I can look that up as far as, like, how many times he's done that. But...
1: Um, yeah, that surprises me that
0: he's he's a zero
1: or... Oh, no, so I went to this other... I refreshed it and went to the pitching only, and it's 1.8, so I think that... Oh, okay, so I was it was like, like the wrong thing. 1.8. Okay, that makes more sense then.
0: Yeah. Um, Sam, any thoughts on Yusei Kikuchi?
2: I mean, outside of the fact that we definitely need to keep him because he's absolutely our best pitcher. Yeah. <laughs> So he he's thirty it. years
0: old, so I mean that's that's the only thing you have to look at is that like it, I wouldn't say he's like old, but he's not young anymore either. So you just have to like be mindful that like he's likely to start to regress if you exercise that four year option, but um, still in a good spot, especially for like the next couple of years. I think he could be a key piece in this rotation for sure. So
2: yeah, I agree, and I think to what you alluded to earlier with his off speed stuff, that's. He that doesn't regress with age as much. You may, maybe his fastball client, you know, falls from 97 down to 95, 93 over the years. But, yep, his his movement, his off speed, his location, that stuff should stay. So, I think, you know, I would be surprised if we don't pick up that option. And I think it would be at this point silly not to. I think he's he's really proven himself this far this season. And it doesn't seem like, is something that's, you know, going to fall off a cliff either. Knock on wood. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Um, You mentioned him earlier, Justin, J.P. Crawford. And boy, has he turned a corner this season, it, it looks like. And he is really, ever since that they have solidified him into that leadoff spot, he has been absolutely raking. And he's, he's a true leadoff hitter, I think, for us. And shortstop of, obviously the present and I think the future for this team. The only other guy that's in the organization that could give him a run for his money is Noel V. Marte, but he's down in low a right now. He's probably at least two, maybe even three years out from debuting in the MLB, but he's a top three prospect in our organization. Um, but one of those guys could end up moving to second base. I still think JP Crawford is probably a, a piece that we're going to be building around as well going forward. Um, I don't know what your guys' thoughts are about J.P. Crawford, but 280 batting average right now. Um, I think he's got some other pretty good stats too. I don't know if you have his stuff right in front of you. I don't. I'm looking at something else right now. Um,
2: I don't have uh, the stats right in front of me, but I maybe I'm stealing the words out of Justin's mouth. The one stat that pops out to me, and I know we've talked about it before, is shockingly low amount of stolen bases for such a speedster that's been getting on base. He's got three stolen bases. You think yeah. they'd be more aggressive with his speed?
0: Well, and he's on base a lot too, right? And I, we definitely have talked about this before. Um, yeah, go ahead, Justin. You were saying something. Yeah,
1: I was going to say the same thing, but also he's only twenty six. So to your point of building around, I mean, he has plenty. Yep. You would think plenty of good years left in him. So and fast years. So hopefully we can make up for the bases next year. <laughs> but he's not stealing this year. So yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah. A
0: light certainly seems to be switching on for him uh, right now. And he's, he's hitting the ball to all fields. And, and when you hit the ball to all fields, you know, that like you're comfortable, like he's not trying to pull everything. He's letting the pitches travel in the zone. Um, and he seems really comfortable out there. So that's really good to see from JP Mitch Haniger. hot topic. As far as like, he's, he's definitely, he's our best player, like overall. Um, and obviously probably our best trade asset if we were to trade someone at the mm-hmm. deadline. So this kind of leads me into my next topic here. So if we're in like a similar position that we are right now, a few games above 500, maybe like five or six out of the wild card, six or seven, maybe eight games out of the division race by the, by the trade deadline at the end of July in a month or so, what what do you guys want want us to do at that point do you want us to just like stand pat do you want us to sell do you want us to like trade a Mitch Haniger for more prospects do you want us to trade prospects and try to go for it this year what do you guys definitely
2: not trade prospects that is a stupid idea okay we 100% shouldn't do that i think we have way too much of a young nucleus on this team And with us being hard asses on service time and all that other bullshit, like we should be able to keep some of the young promising talent and we should not be sacrificing that for a one or two year playoff run when really the, the way that I look at it is the way that, you know, our minor league system is developing. And some of these young players are, you know, making impacts on this year's team, this could be a really solid Seattle Mariners nucleus of players for the next five to 10 years. And I don't think you want to trade that away for the 2021 season. I would say I'm not opposed to trading Mitch Haniger, but I would maybe peel the onion back another layer and rephrase the question back to you, Connor is who are you trading him for? Like, what are you looking to get on the team?
0: Yeah. I mean, at, there's no reason for this team to be trading for more low A, high A prospects at this point.
2: Yeah, like, I totally if agree. if
0: you're if you're trading a Mitch Haniger, you're trading like for a 22, 23, 24 year old that's either like about to break into the big leagues or has some major league service time. Um are you looking for I don't, pitching, I don't know if you hitting... get that. I don't know if you get that from Mitch Haniger. Like I don't I don't know if that makes sense for The other team yeah so
2: and and i guess part of the way that i i feel about the current makeup of the mariners roster is i I, we have exciting depth across the board like Mm. i to your point i don't know that mitch hanniger is gonna draw a big name in in the mlb today to come in and like help put us over the hump this this year i mean because hanniger is our best batter basically and so, are you really going to get a better bat by trading him? Are you going to be able to get an ace that's better or maybe someone that can complement Kikuchi? Like, what are you looking to solve by trading him? Is the part that I'm having a difficult time understanding. Because to your point, like, if we do trade Hanniger and say we get somebody that is, you know, on the cusp of breaking into the MLB or maybe is a year or two into making an impact on another roster. Like does that really help us more than keeping Hanniger for the next I don't know how long he's under contract, but next two to three years maybe?
0: Through next year. Okay. And so this this brings yeah. me to the, the 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 point that um I've heard brought up with the reasoning behind the, the only logical reason behind trading Mitch Haniger is if Mitch doesn't want to sign an extension here. Yeah. And his value as an asset is not going to be higher than basically this trading deadline now. Um, and if you know that there's a fat chance that you're going to be able to resign him and be able to have him as a part of your future, then you trade him now and at least get something for trading him rather than just letting him walk in two years and you get nothing. Um, so that's that's the only logical reason that I've heard. I don't know if that's like a fact or anything. I don't know if he doesn't want to resign here, but if the Mariners get that sense, then that would be the only reason that I would say is somewhat understandable if they were to trade an asset like or a piece like Mecheniger.
2: Yeah. It'll be interesting. I think they'll probably shop him around, but I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I, he's
0: I... he's still really cheap next year. Like he's, yeah. he's like, he's still on like that. I don't know if it's like his like rookie contract or whatever, but like, it's like, it's the deal. It's the first deal that he signed basically as he was about to approach the big leagues and he's very cheap next year. Um, so it's not like it's like a, and there's no salary cap in baseball or anything, but it's not like a big piece on your, on your roster as far as money wise, so um, the the only reason that I would see us trading Machaniger is if they just want to try, try to cut their losses and try to get something for him rather than him walking for nothing in a year from now.
2: Yeah, I guess I would make the argument that they could do that next year too. I mean, they could. We'll, you yeah, lose I'll, some I'll... negotiating power because mm-hmm. teams will know that we're trying to dump him
0: a lot but, of people still are fine with that though like especially teams that are like yeah. right on the edge of contention and they're like a piece away like yeah those guys get desperate so i agree with you sam i i i don't think that it's even really worth visiting this year and the team might look a lot different next year too. the mariners yeah. themselves yeah. right and we might be in a total buy mode at that point and mitch is happy and wants to sign an extension at that point I guess the
2: um, only other element to this equation that I could possibly think of, if I'm the GM of the Mariners, like a lot of our young talent are outfielders, some by moving Hanager and maybe trading that token for some value at another position, you're, you know, allowing some, you know, promote promotion from within type stuff with, you know, Kellinick, Trammell, Kyle Lewis, Fraley. There a lot of young talent in the outfield. So maybe it opens up. Julio
0: Rodriguez. Julio he's Rodriguez got, is another got to one. Promoted so up to double A.
2: It does feel like a little bit of a logjam out there. So yep. there could be that element as well. Like make room for the young guys to come in and shine and maybe up up you know, up level or upgrade another position while you do it. So maybe I'm trying to talk myself into it, but
0: I I get it. I yeah. I think you're I think you're really rolling the dice if you if you look at it from that perspective, which I wouldn't doubt the Mariners doing just because they kind of tend to be sometimes pretty dumb in these situations. Um you're really rolling the dice because you have a proven commodity in Mitch Haniger. Like you know what you're going to get from Mitch Haniger. All these other guys are pretty much prospects at this point. Like you don't yeah. know how their career is going to pan out. Kyle Lewis has been great when he's been healthy, but he hasn't been healthy. Jake Fraley looks great walking a lot. like <laughs> He's yeah. on base a lot. Um, and he has a good, you know, approach at the plate, but this might just be, you know, a good 80 games or whatever that he's, he's in right now. And this might be the best 80 game stretch of his career. Who knows? Jared Kelnick has yet to shown it from the big leagues. Um, yeah. Julio Rodriguez isn't even here yet. Um Taylor Trammell has really yet to show it in the big leagues. He has some pop, but strikes out a lot, you know? Yeah. Like that. So that all these pieces are just so unproven and they look great on paper. Like they're, they're great prospects and it's, it's good to have this problem in the organization, but I don't think you can roll the dice and just be like, you know what? Let's get rid of Haniger to get some of these guys up. Like yeah. I don't think that's the mentality that you I mean,
2: have. That run differential would look a lot worse without Haniger. Oh, yeah 47 rbi so if we didn't have him that run diff that run diff of what you guys said it was minus 47 i think mm-hmm. it's negative
0: 47 yeah yeah
2: it's probably closer to negative 70. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he's like one of the only guys that's making it happen at the plate so i think this team is pretty well below 500 without hanniger
0: yeah yeah you're probably right so I really hope that we keep him. Um, I hope that he eventually signs an extension and we just have options, you know, like, because Kyle Lewis might be a DH at this point. Like he can't stay healthy. I don't yeah. know if he's going to be able to be in the field every day. So it, you just never know when that type of stuff's going to happen. So it's better to keep options in house. Um, let's see. Any other manner of stuff? I know that you have the Hector Santiago thing on here, <laughs> Sam. <laughs> Sticky uh, stuff. <laughs> um so What a Heggerson, shit show. Did they yeah. prove that? No, they didn't even no. investigate his glove. Yeah, that's like what I thought. Or like they didn't even like what whatever they called it. Like it was. They like, didn't put it
2: into the MLB like analysis of it. It was just like they right. took the ump's word.
0: They didn't forensics it. We'll just say yeah. That. Mm. Um guilty until yeah, so proven he's got, innocent i guess yeah he's got a 10 game suspension he's the first mlb player to be suspended under this new sticky stuff rule as we're calling it um yeah and you know i think he's just kind of a scapegoat at this point <laughs> like they're they're trying to get their point across rob manfred's a fucking idiot so um i'll just say that <laughs> real quick um he's not a very good commissioner
2: if you haven't watched Screwball on Netflix, I know I've shouted it out on the podcast yeah. before. Yep, watch that and then come talk to us about Rob Manfred. Yeah,
0: dude's an idiot. Um, and obviously, there, there's no due diligence or anything here. I think uh, they're they're trying to enforce a rule in a way that doesn't um, hurt the game too much by not knocking out a player that really matters like if this is a jacob de Gram or something like that right now like (laughs) there's no way that this conversation is even happening they'd be like oh yeah there's like some sticky stuff on his glove but he's good
2: probably just was rosin
0: it was just rosin yeah for sure just rosin and sweat um and it i mean from all indications that's what it was for hector santiago but essentially like the rule is that you're not supposed to have rosin and sweat anywhere but your throwing hand which is absolutely impossible because you're touching a ball that's going into a glove you're touching your glove you're touching your forearms you're touching your hat hat like you can't just make players just touch a ball and throw a ball like you look like a caveman doing that so i think it's just an unrealistic rule and they need to fine-tune it and Hector Santiago obviously is just a scapegoat. It leaves the manners at a huge disadvantage, though. They can't replace him on the roster, the twenty-six man roster for the next ten days. He's just suspended for ten days. They don't get to replace him. Um, so they have twenty five guys on their on their major league roster right now. So kind of sucks, but um, is what it is. And manners are a product of more bad luck there. So that's all I got to say about that. Anyway, if you guys want to touch on it more, but otherwise I'm ready to move on.
2: Nope. Should we talk some Hawks?
0: Yeah. You want to bring it up? I think we well, have I don't one know. topic to talk you, about.
2: <laughs> you texted the group about it. I'll let you do it. That's true,
0: I guess. Um, so the, the biggest news to come out of the NFL, I think within the last, this was within the last week, right?
2: Yeah. Week, week and a half, maybe.
0: Yeah. Is that finally, and 2022 I believe not this year but the following year they are allowing a second helmet which means that so I guess let me back up here NFL has always been about like ever since like the whole concussion thing has come up they've always like stressed like there's one helmet for each team and they can only use that one helmet and so this has limited teams abilities to do kind of alternate uniforms or throwback uniforms and stuff Finally, they are allowing a second helmet now. And so, so many years, the Seahawks fans have like requested for them to have like a throwback 90s, 80s jersey, you know, back to like the Steve Largent days, back to the even like the John Kitna days and stuff like that style of jersey with the silver helmet. They can now have that because they are allowing a second helmet starting in 2022. So, I'm just kind of stoked about that just because I think that the old jerseys look a little bit better than the new ones um and i think it'd be cool to wear those and i think that russ and dk and, and you know jamal adams those guys, jamal adams would look pretty sexy in that old retro blue and silver helmet so
1: i like our old retro home ones i'm not sure i'd be crazy about the away retro Look. the way is just basically yeah it's, it's white. similar the but silver. i I would, I would think we'd want to do the home retro yeah with the blue i think it would just be a home. yeah with the blue and the silver helmet i think that yep. would look better yeah back to the old uh when i started watching the seahawks when i moved here the sean springs days oh over in springs. yeah good name so in
2: galloway i used to go to their training camp when it was at eastern washington my grandpa would take me to cheney and watch yep. him do training camp there I got a Sean Springs and Joey Galloway autograph one year. Nice. They were like, I think Sean Springs got traded the that season and whatever, oh. it broke my heart. Because I also <laughs> liked him because he wore number 24 and that was like Griffey 24. Griffey, so I was like, oh, Sean Springs is my guy. I like that shout out. One of the things about the retro uniforms that I also thought was a little bit of a snag with the Seahawks was the fact that the old uniforms were Russell athletics. And I wasn't sure if that was a snag with not being like a current partner with uh, the NFL. I might be just blowing smoke on that, but I thought I heard that somewhere.
0: Repeat what you just said.
2: So I thought I knew the helmet was definitely a snag in being able to bring back retro uniforms. Yep. But I also thought that because, and again, I have not checked this so I don't know if this is legit or not but sure. I thought because Russell Athletics they were the company that were sponsoring the Seahawks and other teams in the NFL at that point in time they did that blue and silver helmet so, or Seahawks jersey and so I was one I thought I heard somewhere that oh, there was like, was like rights some thing? rights and licensing dispute that we could be weren't able to do that but i guess that's probably bs because we you could still sell make those jerseys own. we buy those jerseys so yeah i don't know if they'd be the exact same but whoever i mean nike is doing right. jerseys now i'm sure they can
1: yeah it would just be a nike version of super that jersey, close basically. to it yeah yeah i mean other teams have had throwback ish jerseys yeah There's i know like the bucks the 49ers popping. have and the steelers
2: have the packers have
0: and they've gotten away with that too because like like for instance, like the Steelers, I know, like they use the same helmet. They just do like a different decal or whatever. Right. On the same helmet. Yeah. Um, whereas like the the Seahawks would obviously have to change the color of the helmet. So
1: that's that's, that's freaking kind of like browns.
2: The you know, what would be <laughs> another sick one would be if the Tennessee Titans pulled out the Houston Oilers jerseys, or I guess who would uh, wear the Houston Oilers jerseys? It would be Tennessee. It would be the Titans, be I mean, but that Houston.
1: feels wrong. Yeah. yeah, I mean that would be Titans like that oil. would be yeah. like the
2: Oklahoma City Thunder rolling out in Sonics jerseys. Oh, what, if they did that? what if they did
0: that? What if they did that in it in a game against the Houston Texans? Oh, that would be oh, the biggest man. The shade. in Houston.
2: Oh, oh. <laughs> People would not get out alive. I mean, if that stuff went down, like if that happened, oh my god! Yeah, I'm they, so pissed. You gotta if do that, that at was a home my game. game. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Somebody's got it. I mean, those Oilers jerseys with, you know, going back those to Warren cool. Moon, Earl Campbell, yeah. like, oh my gosh. Those are cool jerseys too. Yeah,
1: those are cool. The powder. Getting really me a little, you're getting me a little heated. There's no way the Thunder would pull out the Sonics. They, they wouldn't have the gall to do that, right? They don't no have the way. cojones. Yeah.
2: I think Gary Payton would get on the next flight to OKC, <laughs> find Clay Bennett and do really bad things to him
0: drop a mother effer. yeah i got it
2: a couple of those <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i think that's pretty much that's all we have to talk Hawks. about <laughs> yeah Hawks Go stuff, Hawks. that was pretty much the news <laughs> yeah um obviously just had mini camp um and we got training camp in about a month here but we're kind of between those right now so it's just kind of an awkward awkward time with nfl football but that that piece of news did come out so we just wanted to talk about that just for a few minutes here all right. Moving on to the new team. Team that's set to debut in October. And it's becoming more and more real by the second because our NHL team finally is a head coach. And we have announced Dave Hasks Hasks Hackstall? Hackstall. That's how Hackstall. Say that, right? yeah. Hackstall as the first head coach of the Kraken. Any thoughts on this boys? I don't have a lot. So I'm I know that, I know that he was kind fan. of like a surprise name. Like it's it, basically what I've gathered is like he's not one of the sexy names that like we were kind of going after, but he's a good solid head coach that has a winning history. Um and I think he's coming as he's coming from being an assistant coach in one of from one of the teams, I can't remember who. Uh Maple
2: Leafs Toronto.
0: Toronto. so he was an assistant, assistant coach there but he has head coach experience if i'm not mistaken
2: yep yes. he was a head coach for the
1: flyers i think
2: yeah the philadelphia Philly. flyers yeah. yep
1: so um obviously someone that has
0: head coach experience in the past but hasn't been a head coach for a few years at least um but yeah dave hack hackstall our first yeah. head coach
2: i really like the hire honestly i i he has a winning record as a head coach in his four years in philly he went 134 and 101 so i i haven't been able to like dig up the actual story but i definitely read somewhere that there was kind of a like parting of ways there that wasn't super clean mm-hmm. i think a lot of people felt like he was canned a little bit early but he's he can win at this stage he's helped the maple leaves be a good team as well but really what i like is you go back to his time as the head coach at north dakota and really building one of the powerhouses of the 2000s in the college ranks i mean they were national champions one two three years and they went to the ncaa frozen Four. it's the final four for hockey one, two, three, four, five times in like a seven-year span. So he's had a lot of success at the collegiate ranks. He's had moderate success in the pros, not a great coach, but not a losing record. And, you know, we're football guys here, so maybe I'll draw the comparison right now. Kind of has the same resume as Pete Carroll. Legendary college coach. Took a stab at it in the pros, wasn't a flop, didn't do poorly, but kind of, you know, hovered right around that five hundred mark in the NFL. Pete Carroll did, and you know, obviously Pete Carroll went back to USC then, and he's been doing great things for the Seahawks. So there's there's part of me that just, as a Seattle guy, I I kind of like that trajectory. I kind of like the resume, where yeah. he's had success at at one level below he's had moderate success. He's probably learned a lot in Toronto. So, you know, he's a younger guy. He's still going to be really hungry, really ambitious. There's, you know, some of the other sexy names that were out there, like a coach Q that won multiple Stanley cups with the Blackhawks. You know, he is getting longer in the tooth. I, I like the idea of having a, you know, he is Dave Haxall's 52, but in head coaching years that's still relatively young mm-hmm. and i think you know there's a sense that he has a lot to prove at the nhl level as the head man and i think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about having someone like that as your first coach in franchise history Is he's gonna get after it for sure
1: justin any thoughts i i mean i think I mean, Sam is more knowledgeable than I am. I think he made a lot of great points. And I think it's a, you know, someone with coaching experience, as he said, and something with somebody with something to prove is a great first start um, in a new franchise. There's a lot to figure out, um, as I found out from Hard Knocks when Jeff Fisher was the coach of the Rams um, (laughs) and over his head a little bit. So hopefully Hack still has the chops to um, do the business here in Seattle.
2: Yeah. And I just think like he's gonna gel well with the team. I think Justin, you mentioning like having something to prove and a little bit of a chip on your shoulder, that's gonna be the makeup of this roster with the way that we're gonna build this roster through the expansion draft, is gonna be a roster filled with guys that other teams didn't protect, didn't think that they were one of their most valuable eight to eleven guys on the roster. Talk about a chip on your shoulder in terms of players, pair that with a chip on the shoulder of a head coach. I think that's an instant common ground an instant, you know, mutual trust in one another. And I think that that could gel really well as you're trying to get this thing off the ground.
0: It's a really good point. The whole chip on the shoulder mentality. And to add to that, I think the other, the other part of this roster is going to be just relatively young, just in general too. And Sam, you were saying how, how, uh, successful he was on a collegiate level that maybe he can relate to some of those younger players, just that age range. Maybe he just clicks with that style of player early on, like early on in their career type thing. Um, So that, that could also work in our favor. Um, I'm just trying to draw comparisons with like Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll Mm -hmm. had a lot of that going for him whenever he first signed on with the Seahawks. Um, So that that's, that's also something to take note on, I think too. All right, and we got an expansion draft in about three weeks, right? July 21st. And so uh, we still have more to go on this episode, but I think the next episode uh, we'll try to do a little bit of a preview. And I think we all have to do some decent research before that happens. Yeah. Uh, But we'll try to bring you some guys, guys, some knowledge uh, during that episode. And we'll try to do that, kind of that week leading up to the draft. Um, And, and look forward to this new expansion franchise and obviously this this new sport that's that's entering entering the seattle market and we got we have a lot to learn but i think we're all we're all equally excited about the potential of um of this fan base to be really good hockey fans so um,
2: i think if nothing else you can finally look forward to having some players on the team which means the kraken are going to be able to sell sweaters for the first time
0: right i'm gonna call it it'll feel way more real at that point too like once we actually have players like we We, have all the front office basically the head coach now like it's getting more real as the as the minutes go along
2: so yeah and i'll tell you whose sweater i'm buying first because it's gonna happen we're gonna get tj oshi he's gonna be the first team captain in the inaugural season of the seattle kraken and i'm buying his sweater i would love it Need to have a Seattle Kraken sweater for 2021 Christmas. Yeah, I do yeah. the gri- I do the the Clark Griswold hockey sweater on <laughs> Christmas thing. Nice. Yeah,
1: and he's older than you, Sam, so you don't have to break your rule.
2: Exactly. Justin gets it.
1: <laughs> wow, well. I'm excited. The jer- when did the jerseys drop? Do we know?
2: I think. I mean, we Probably already know what the jerseys. That. We know what the sweaters look like, but they're not selling them, I think, because they don't have any players. To s- you, there's no number on it.
0: Right. That makes sense. But you yeah. could still get, like, custom ones or whatever, but I think they're waiting until after the draft. Yeah, yeah that makes sense.
2: But I'm getting one for sure because I think they're sweet. I love our colors. I love our – what do they call them? Our. What do they call it in the NHL? It's like your three-color code. I don't know. I forget what they call it. Anyways, I will be getting one of those shortly.
0: Yeah, it'll be, I mean, it's, it's good for this, this climate typically when it's not a hundred degrees out, 110 degrees out, one hundred fifteen degrees out when we're breaking records. So it's <laughs> a good piece of good piece of clothing to have. So, all right. Should we get to the meat and potatoes, Sam? I know you've been waiting for this Ooh. all damn night. Um, think we got good and bad stuff going on with huskies uh not really like bad bad but like i guess let down a little bit yeah a little bit of a slight step back but mostly very good news on the recruiting front yeah Um, so i'll have have you get us started and just kind of talk talk through some of the maybe a little bit bad stuff up front and then we'll get to the good stuff later
2: okay so we're gonna dip our toes into the bad stuff first. So there's a local offensive lineman who will be a senior next year at O Day. Offensive lineman named Mark Naboo He committed to the Huskies long time, you know, we offered him pretty early. And there's a really strong in-state class of offensive linemen. And he was one that the Husky staff obviously liked early on, wanted to get wanted to get him in the boat. And he came in for I think an official visit earlier in june and he committed shortly after or during during his visit and it was one of those recruitments where at the time you felt like well yeah that was a given kind of in the bag and so it just kind of felt like awesome we checked that box like he's in the boat we're good to go well typical with a lot of husky recruiting is the buzzards are always flying around the evaluations of the Husky coaches, and what I mean by that is, when the University of Washington Husky football coaches send out an offer or accept a commitment from a kid, that draws a lot of attention from other teams. I think a lot of teams in the area, in the footprint, Pac-12, even moving, you know, to the Midwest and to the South, whether it's Texas, Texas A&M, Notre Dame, Michigan when they see UW extend an offer or take a commitment, all of a sudden they perk up in their seat and they get interested in that player. And so that happened. That was the case with Mark Naboo. So he committed and shortly after he committed to UW, he got an offer from Steve Sarkeesian and university of Texas, university university of, or Texas A&M university of Michigan. And Mark Naboo decides, well, uh, these new schools are recruiting me. Like, let's go check them out. So he goes and takes an official visit to those schools. For those that don't follow UW recruiting and UW's recruiting philosophy closely, that is a big no-no. Like once you commit to UW, they expect you to shut your recruitment down. Hence the name commitment. Like I'm committing to this school and they really press these kids. And again, I'll stress that they are kids. There's 16, 17, 18 years old. But when you make that commitment, they make the commitment back to you. And and a lot of times they'll slow down the recruiting of other players. So Mark Naboo goes off and takes an official visit to Texas A&M, takes an official visit to Michigan. And UW is like, all right, peace. Like you're not coming to UW anymore because you didn't stay true to your word. And so it's kind of an interesting saga. So someone that we thought was in the bag, definitely going to be a Husky kind of goes against the coach's wishes. And it's, it's something that at this point through the Chris Peterson era and moving into the Jimmy Lake era, like that's just a known thing. Recruits know that when you commit, if you go on an official visit, the Husky coaches are going to be pissed. That's just the way that it is. Some people are going to agree with that, disagree with that. I'm kind of on the fence because my take is UW is pressing these kids to shut down their recruitment, but in the same breath, like they're not really shutting down their evaluation of other players at the position. Like they're always working up a backup plan. And so it's kind of a little bit hypocritical that they're doing that. And they're not allowing these kids to kind of look at their backup options. So a lot of drama there. I don't know what you guys have to make of that or how you feel about that dynamic in terms of, you know, that's really not a lot of schools hold kids feet to the fire in that way. Like UW does, that's pretty unique thing in today's college football world. So I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that. Ask a question before we,
1: so what is, what makes this the kid commit versus saying like, Hey, I'm not sure I'm holding off. Is that like, is it the guaranteed spot at a school?
2: Yeah. So there's a couple of things and this is an evolving thing in college football as well. Like historically, when you got an offer, a scholarship offer that meant, hey, we have a spot for you if you want it or not. And if you want it, let us know. That's great. But really an offer was a very important thing. And over time, we've seen schools move into a recruiting philosophy where they cast a really wide net. And what I mean by that is they offer anyone and everyone under the sun that they think is relatively good. So Oregon is like the classic example of this. There's stats you can find on Twitter where Oregon will send out 300, 400 offers per class and UW and Stanford might send out 80 or a hundred. And so it's really kind of deteriorated the importance of an offer. And so getting to more direct answer to your question, Justin, when it comes to a commitment, it is like taking your spot. And especially now with the pandemic and what that does in terms of scholarship numbers, you're seeing the 2021 and the 2022 classes are a lot smaller than usual. So typically you'll see 18 to 25 high school kids per school. So 18 to 25 new kids joining UW the last couple of years, that number has been as hovering around 12 to 15, maybe 17. And so there are a lot of limited spots at each school at your particular position. So for this instance, with the offensive lineman, UW is projected to take three, maybe four at most. We already have two committed. Mark Naboo is the third. And so he's like, okay, well, I need to jump on that. But then his eyes kind of got big with these other offers. And so I think he kind of was naive to the process, to be honest. And he wanted to secure his spot with the hometown school, but he also wasn't ready to shut down his recruitment. And that didn't sit well with the coaches. And like the, maybe the best example of this is Jake Browning and Brett Ripon. So going back to, I don't even know what year that would have been, 2012, maybe. No, or sooner than that, 2015, 2014,
0: 2015. Yeah.
2: So Jake Browning was in California. Brett Ripon was at Shadow Park in Spokane. Those were the two quarterbacks that UW wanted. And UW called both of them on a Friday night and said, Hey, we're taking one quarterback in this class. It's either you or the other guy and was just open with both of them and said, whoever commits first is the person we're taking. And Brett Rippin said, I'm going to take the weekend to think about it. I'll call you on Monday. And Jake Browning said, I don't need to think about it. I'm coming to UW on the call. And so Jake Browning became a Husky. Brett Rippin was left, you know, holding his own shoes, ended up going in, having a good career at Boise state but that helps like show that dynamic that there is a lot of competition for these spots. And so you'll see kids make these, you know, premature commitments At other schools and there's a lot of decommits that other schools have that because UW holds their kids feet to the fire on their commitment you don't really see the decommitments at UW like you do at other schools and so when Mark Naboo kind of went off on his own track doing these official visits it's not something that you would typically see happen with a UW recruit that was a long-winded answer but Hopefully no, I think the helpful. context is
1: very helpful for
0: sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think this all, all goes back to kind of obviously the Chris Peterson era, like you were just talking about with the Jake Browning thing and him wanting kind of OKGs. You don't see them labeled as that, that much anymore. I think under Jimmy Lake, he's not really, I don't think he really talks about OKGs are kind of guys, but it's the same mantra. Right. And they're you mentioned it Sam before that like they're very selective with who they offer and, with that, a UW offer holds pristine. Like at that point, like in it, and For sure. it's it's a very valuable thing at that point because, and that's why you know you'll see a UW a, a kid get offered from UW, and then a bunch of other coaches are like, oh shit, like they offered him. They're very selective with their offers. This kid must be decently legit. Yeah. So, like you said, I think I think this is just Mark naboo um, being a little bit naive to the process that, you know, you committed to a school and, um, it was more to kind of like save your spot there. And you were probably going to circle back there, but you also wanted to explore other options. And, um, obviously those options came about kind of after you committed. Um, but at the same time, you know, you have to teach these kids a lesson at some point in their lives that like, if you're committing to something like you're committing, like these, these are life lessons, like for 17, 18 year olds. And it's hard. I, I get it. Like, these are all kids. And you said that too, Sam, is that these, these are all kids. So it's, it's unfair to um, expect all of them to hold true to a commitment, but at the same time, you have to learn from that type yeah. of life lesson at some point. And I think that, UW really values like kids that are going to become men and prepare them for like life after football type thing. And most of them don't pan out to be NFL players. Like even though we have a pretty good track record, like we pan them out to be good men, good people, good people of society, you know? And this is just kind of part of that whole like life lessons mantra that they go this whole built for life, mantra like this is all a piece of that right like they they want to they want to secure your commitment and they want you to stay committed to them because they're committed to you like that's they're they're so selective with their offers that they're committed to you too like they're holding that spot for you so in return we expect you to shut down your recruitment and stay committed to us yeah Um, so i i get both sides i totally get it i think with with UW and the way that they are so, so selective about offers, I think it totally makes sense the way that they do recruiting. Like I think, and I think it's been effective for them for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Oregon is totally the opposite, right? They send out 300 offers and they kind of pick and choose from that the best and the best of the best. And they're able to obviously recruit pretty well.
2: Well, and the, the shady side of the way that Oregon does it is they might accept an, a, a commitment from a kid and say that kid right. shuts their recruitment down and then but they find a better six team. months later they find a better player at that position and they yep. say hey original kid like we you found a go. shinier object like you can't come to our school anymore and that or kid the way adds, that
0: they'll put it is you might want to check your other
2: options yeah but really they're kicking them to the curb and that yeah. is the wrong thing to do yeah and so i think in a lot of ways udb tries to avoid doing that which i think is yeah. admirable but at the same time with the way that college football's moving, it does make us feel more old school, more traditional in that sense. To your point, it's worked well for us in the past. And I think we'll probably continue working well for us, but it'll be interesting development to see like how strong Jimmy Lake stays on that path. I think, you know, Mark Naboo's not a caliber of player that you're going to make an exception for. He's a solid offensive lineman, you know, three-star sure. borderline, four-star maybe, um, but we're going to be able to fill his spot. No problem. And like I said, off the top, if you're a Husky fan, this isn't something to be worried about. It's not really that bad of news. It gives us a good talking point to describe some of the elements and intricacies of recruitment. Um this but happens
0: everywhere, by the way. Too, we were, least. we were,
2: get, we he want three. We, yeah, we want three linemen in this class. We already have Parker Brailsford, who's going to be our center or an interior player. Vega Uwane is another interior player. He could be a tackle. So you have got two in the boat, and the third person who always had a spot is Josh Connerly. He's another local kid. Um, Vega is local as well. I think he's at Graham Kapowson. And, uh, Josh Connerly is at Rainier beach. So I think you're going to end up with three in this class, which actually works out better for us. If Mark Naboo stayed committed and Josh Connerly wanted to commit, we're taking Connerly, no matter what, he's a five-star top 50 player in the country. You end up with four offensive linemen. That's taking again with these smaller class sizes because of the pandemic that's taken away a a spot for another position. So in a lot of ways, I kind of see this as a benefit as a Husky fan, assuming we're able to land Josh Connerly, which I think we will. Um, I think you get three really solid offensive linemen and then you're able to use that scholarship spot that Mark Naboo was going to take to maybe go get another defensive back, get us another linebacker or a running back, whatever it might be. So I think it'll all work out in the end, but I think it's a really good example that we don't get often to really explain that dynamic that makes UW so unique in the recruiting space compared to many other schools, most For namely sure. Oregon.
0: Yeah, and we obviously mention them because they're a rival, but they also they literally do everything basically the exact opposite. Yeah, we couldn't of be UW more when different. it comes to recruiting. So um, teach their own, teach their own. All right. Next topic. Big one.
2: Yeah. So we went pretty long on the Mark Naboo thing. We could spend a whole podcast talking about JTT. JT Tua Malau is the number one player in the 2021 class, regardless of position from freshman year through senior year. I think he's one of the highest rated high school prospects ever. I think he's top five, um, regardless of position. So once-in-a-lifetime generational type talent. He played his high school career in our own backyard at Eastside Catholic. He is a defensive end, defensive lineman, tight end, also plays wide receiver, linebacker, safety, pretty much everything. Crazy athlete. Also has full-ride scholarships to play basketball at a number of schools, including UW. Um, And if you're asking yourself, like, well, I thought the 2021 class was already done and settled, that's The case except for JT. So what he did was instead of signing with the school back on national signing day, whether that was the early signing period in December or the final one in February, he decided to wait because through the pandemic, the students weren't allowed to go visit schools unless that was Arizona state. That's another topic for another day, (laughs) but Google that you'll learn a lot. Herm Edwards pretty sneaky. Anyways, play to win the game. Oh, he was playing the game. That's for sure. But getting back to JT. So basically he decided that he didn't want to commit to a school without going on an official visit, meeting those schools. Like obviously he had been around UW. He felt comfortable with what that was going to be, but some of the other schools across the country, whether it's Ohio state, Oregon, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, USC. Like those were some of the schools he wanted to narrow it down. And so he decided that he was going to go on this crazy, you know, crazy jaunt of a trip through June and do official visits at UW, Oregon, USC, Ohio State, and Alabama. And he started out at UW. All reports were really solid that, you know, UW's back in it for a long time felt like we were on the outside looking in but after that visit people were thinking well maybe he does want to stay close to home it sounds like his mom really wants to you know is pulling him to stay at UW and then he went off and saw USC USC. then he went to Ohio State then he went to Oregon and after Oregon he was supposed to go to Alabama but he canceled that trip and so you can read into that all you want was it Ohio state that can, you know, really decided that that's where he wanted to be and felt like he didn't need to take the trip. Did Which Oregon... Ohio, state's,
0: Ohio state's been like the leader, pres- like the presumptive leader throughout this entire recruitment, but like, it's been a very tight to the vest recruitment as well. So.
2: Yeah. I mean. And I think there's a lot of reasons behind why Ohio state has been thought as, as the leader. I mean, just look at the defensive ends that they've pumped out in the top five in the NFL drafts over the years, whether it's, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, Chase Young—you know—they've really developed that position well. So I could see why that would be enticing for JT to allow to go there. Um, But anyway, so he cancels his trip to Alabama. There's an impending decision that he's going to—he's got to commit to a school in the next couple of days because he needs to enroll at whatever school he wants to go to. I think in early July, in order to be able to partake in fall camp leading up to the season. So by the time this airs, who knows, maybe he's made his choice, but the latest that we've heard is that UW is out of it. And the rumblings on the street is that it's down to Ohio state and Oregon. I don't think anybody would be surprised if it was Ohio state for the reasons that I've already mentioned, if it was Oregon shit will hit the fan and he will be the most hated 18-year-old in Seattle, Washington history. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. You don't do that. You don't go to Oregon. You don't say that. that, There's nothing that Oregon can do that would be better than UW besides pay him illegally, which they probably are going to do like they do with all the other recruits.
0: Hey, man, his dad's, you know, uh, housemate coming up in his village works for Oregon.
2: So yeah, his his village buddy from the islands, who has is he put in the league at the defensive line position? Nobody. They've got Kayvon Thibodeau, who's the most blow and smoke hype player yeah, in the league. That's he's good. Ass. He's good, but he's not gonna be the number one pick. That's insane. No. Like I don't even know how to say his name. Joe Salvanea or whatever Salvea, whatever his name is, yeah. is the Defensive line, defensive end coach at Oregon. Apparently it's from the same village as JT to him dad. I can't remember if it's Hawaii or Samoa, uh, one of those. And um, that's kind of like a familial connection to Oregon and Oregon's still close enough where his parents could go and watch all of his home games. So that's kind of where it's headed. I really think it's Ohio state or bust. I'll be surprised if he ends up anywhere besides Ohio state, which Is equally shitty. I mean, not not equally shitty, but pretty damn close. Because when you look at it, it's like okay, Ohio State has recruited the state of Washington better than UW has. They've got G Scott Jr., Emeka Ibuka, and G Scott's a
0: different. That's a different animal, though. But I think that's freaking prick.
2: I think that was the tip of the iceberg, though.
0: Sure, but like. Dude, G Scott Sr. is a freaking prick.
2: (laughs) No, I know. And Chris Peterson's like, I'm just not going to touch that with a 10 foot pull.
0: Yeah. Forget six feet. Did did we even, like, we might have kind of offered him, but I don't think we really had a spot for him. Like, I don't even. We
2: offered him last minute. Like, Junior Adams was just hired as the wide receivers coach. And so I think he was able to kind of come in and try to, like, save face. But I really think that it was a play you know, G. Scott was a year, was is a year older than Emeka Ekbuka and J.T. Tuumalao. And so I think it was more of an optics thing to kind of like show Emeka and J.T. like, hey, it's nothing personal like we offered him. But, but I think that whole break. saga and I think G. Scott Sr. has a lot more to do with the three of these guys ending up potentially ending up at Ohio State than we know right now. But Hopefully, we'll get the full story someday. But anyways, yeah, we got to make our way through the rest of these recruiting updates. <laughs> JT likely is not going to be a Husky. I still have a little bit of holding out hope. Until he with...
0: commits, you just never know. But yeah. Yeah. But it, it doesn't seem likely.
2: It's not sounding good.
0: Um, yeah. I <laughs> Basically, at this point, I just hope it's Ohio State. I, as long as he doesn't end up at Oregon, I can live with it um if he ends up at Oregon it's I mean gonna be
2: I hope out. he breaks his legs
0: I'm not gonna wish an injury <laughs> upon anyone but I hope I hope that it's would his you be upset extremely... if he broke his legs would no, you be I... upset yes because no I'm, you no, would I, not I I don't wish injuries upon anyone dude I I would hope that the ducks suck and that he flames out and has a very mediocre career at oregon i would
1: rather have him miss so many tackles against u-dub that we win the game because of it
2: hey that's true
1: as jimmy johnson said no as
0: al davis just said just win baby just win baby (laughs) that's all we gotta do
2: yeah hopefully hopefully come on
0: dude have some have some like positivity some, no, no, no. some I'm optimism
2: super, no no no. i know i'm just like i'm in deep on the jt thing like I, if he we're about I'm to get getting, to the good stuff though transition. i know i'm putting the cart before the horse here and hopefully jt doesn't go to oregon if he goes out of the conference somewhere else you know i'll wish see, the best
0: see for you in the rose whatever. bowl bro we'll see yeah yeah exactly actually so anyways, no, we have we have, a, we have a home and home with ohio state coming up in like two years don't we yeah so we'll see
2: him for that probably but anyway yeah So then after that whole saga of those two recruits, we had our like major recruiting event of the summer. The last weekend we hosted a handful of recruits, Emeka Megwa running back from Texas, Ryan Otten, a tight end from Tumwater should sound familiar. He's Kate Otten's younger brother, a corner, Benjamin Morrison, I think. From California, I think.
0: I think he's from California. Yeah. I'll check that. Go ahead.
2: We have outside linebacker Tevarua Tafiti from Hawaii. He's the number one player in Hawaii. There are a couple of other commits, like I know Jeremy Bernard came up. Jackson Stratton, the QB, came up that's committed. So it was a big recruiting event. Ben and, Morrison's
0: Phoenix, Arizona.
2: Oh, he's Arizona. Yeah. That yeah makes he's sense. at a prep school. Lance Holtzclaw is another outside linebacker from Arizona that was in town. So we had a lot of these guys come in and the hype around it was most of them were silent commits to UW, more or less ready to commit, just wanted to come up, you know, be with coaches in person, see the campus, see Seattle. And so of that group, I think you're going to see most of them end up being Huskies. The one name that I forgot to call out was the one person that actually did commit over the weekend was Ben Roberts. He's a defensive lineman from East High School in Salt Lake City. That should sound familiar because last year we got a defensive lineman from the same high school, Voy Tanufi. A year or two before that, we got Sam Taimani, who's going to be a starter, and around that same time we got Jordan Lolohea as an outside linebacker defensive end. So, really nice pipeline developing with a powerhouse high school in Utah there. Ben Roberts, 6'4", 290 pounds, extremely quick, really comparable to Levi Onzerike at this stage. I think you're going to look at the same type of player. Not a nose tackle, but, you know.
0: He could play inside and out.
2: Yeah. I almost
0: almost equate him a little bit to um, Ryan Bowman. Sorry to interrupt, but, like, I think he could play a little bit inside and out.
2: Yeah, he's got better physical traits than Bowman does for sure. He's a lot mm-hmm. taller and longer, um, but elite quickness. So that's what he just got his fourth star, so he's a really solid recruit that we just landed. And then we really should expect more good news trickle in here over the coming weeks. There's the rumor mill is 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 telling me that UW coaches are trying to, you know string along some of these commitments here and not have everyone commit at once, try to build a little bit, little bit of momentum with kids committing every other week or every week. And I know it just came out today that the running back from Texas, Ameka Megua, is announcing his commitment tomorrow, which will be today, I think 11 a.m. of the day that this podcast will be posted. So keep your ears out for that. Likely going to be the Huskies. I'd be shocked if it's not us. And he's a beast of a running back. He's six foot, six foot one, 220 pounds. And I mean, he's got tree trunks for legs, man. He's he's built. So I think that's your power running back that we all love to see. I think it's only a matter of time for Ryan Otten. I think he went on an official visit to Stanford that piqued his interest, but he's gonna be a dog. There's no way he won't be. And then it sounds like there's also, you know, Benjamin Morrison, the corner from Arizona and the outside linebacker from Hawaii. Tafiti are all more or less just kind of not if, but when are they going to commit? So I, I imagine by the end of the end of July, you should see all those guys pledge their allegiance to the purple and gold. So it should be a really good month of July for Husky recruiting.
0: And all these guys are four stars. So, like, as far yeah. as, like, if you're looking at, like, recruiting rankings, obviously, you kind of... Different people weigh those in different ways, but, like, these are all legit recruits, for sure. Um, yeah, I'm I'm stoked about this. This last weekend seemed like a really, really good... June just seemed like a really good recruiting month for UW. I think they knocked it out of the park as much as they could with all these guys. Even, even JTT. Like, they they did everything that they could in that visit to pique his interest and to persuade him to stay home. And obviously like kind of catered to the whole image of like, we're the only place that is actually really home for you. Um, and did that from a seaplane and everything like they, they, they pulled out all the stops for JGT and, if he doesn't go to UW, which it doesn't sound like he's going to, it wasn't for a lack of us trying um, or or us being in it. Um, it was, I mean, simply put, that likely if it's Ohio State, they're a better recruiting school. They have elite level coaches and elite level talent, and they're consistently in the Final Four. You know, so
2: and if it's um, Oregon, he's and if it's paid. Oregon,
0: I. Yeah, he's getting paid for sure. (laughs) He's definitely getting paid. Um, So that's basically what it comes down to. And um, I think the only other thing that we possibly had to talk about besides all this recruiting stuff, which is great, is if you wanted to touch anything on the name image image likeness, we could always talk about that at a later time too. But if you want to touch on that now, we can. I know that JTT was very outspoken about that during his recruitment and wanted to know what each of these schools, what their plans were on name image likeness and that becoming a thing as of basically the start of this episode when this episode is released on July 1st um that's a thing so Sam I know that you probably know a little bit more about it than Justin and I do but Justin I do want to hear your thoughts on it as well I know we talked about it a little bit before the episode so go ahead go ahead Sam
2: yeah I mean it'll be interesting I think it'll develop over time it honestly to me it still feels very ambiguous in terms of for sure how it will be executed but essentially what it what it's and trying to accomplish yeah what it's trying to accomplish is allowing college athletes to capitalize monetarily on their brand their name their image their likeness i think some of the obvious examples off the top of our head are you know you know, looking back at previous Huskies rosters, you know, when Jake Browning and Miles Gaskin were the face of the team and going to, you know, New Year's six bowls, winning Pac-12 championships, they could, you know, say, Hey, you know, I don't know what a good example would be. Um, Joey's in Bellevue or Joey's in U village. It's a restaurant. I'll, if you pay me X amount of, if you pay me $5,000, I'll come and sign autographs in your restaurant for three hours on a Friday night. And that's going to be allowed or, Hey, I want to do some sort of partnership where I'll shoot commercials for Alaska airlines for X amount of dollars. And I'm a, you know, recognizable face. Like if Jake Locker back in the day would, in in my mind, would have been a great one where everybody knows who Jake Locker is in the Seattle area. And so a company would potentially pay them for promotion purposes, just like you'll see, or you saw Marshawn Lynch or Bobby Wagner, or Russell Wilson doing commercials or promotional appearances at businesses in the area. I think you'll see a lot of that. Um, but it is really ambiguous in terms of how it will be executed or how, you know, what does it, how does it get exposed is really what I'm curious to see. Like all of a sudden our kids showing up for professional or promotional events at a car dealership in Eugene, Oregon and getting paid $500,000 by Phil Knight that has no association with that car dealership. Like uh, it's, it's going to be a little bit of wild, wild West. And so like, I'm hopeful that NIL kind of levels the playing field. So if we're talking about, you know, JT to him allows recruitment as an example, like he's obviously looking to make money throughout his college career, whether he gets paid under the table by Ohio state or an sec team like Alabama or Oregon, but really with NIL coming up, like maybe UW or, Stanford, some of these more these schools that have higher integrity, try to play by the rules or Oregon State, these schools that try to do things the right way, can at least offer him enough money to be competitive with some of the under the table shenanigans that goes on elsewhere. I think that's what I want to see happen. But unfortunately, I think what will realistically happen are those schools that are already paying players under the table are just going to dial that notch up to 110% and Pay crazy amounts of money that other schools can't compete with, and I think you're going to see the rich get richer.
1: Yeah, I mean you you outlined a lot of my worries. I think I you know you mentioned Phil Knight uh, paying a a car dealership 500 grand for a kid to make an appearance. I think I'm worried about like a booster using their company to pay a kid an exorbitant amount of money. Right. Um, And as Connor and I were talking pre-show, and you made a good point. Like this could also um benefit the wealthy areas and wealthy colleges i mean UW and the seattle areas you know could be a benefiter but like texas and austin or the la area schools or you right. know some of the big sec schools like you said will get richer so i'm really curious to see the implementation but like what you said i could see it being more um unbalanced as in terms of recruiting
2: what do you think connor
0: I share a lot of the same thoughts and sentiments. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's really just all about how, how it's, there just seems to be a lack of parameters around the whole idea. Um, I guess. And it, it I, I don't know what the, there's obviously going to be someone that steps over the line and that's, that's when we're going to learn where the line really is. There, there is no real line right now. I feel like with, with, This name image likeness. It's it's such a broad, like you said, ambiguous is a really good term for it. Um way of these athletes making some money that it I just don't I don't know what it looks like um from a practical standpoint. But yeah, I mean the way the thing that I'm curious though about is like for from you guys, just for a little fun exercise, who on the Huskies roster probably benefits this from this the most? Like Sam Heward. Season. I was just gonna say
1: him too. This season? Yeah. Oh, this season. I don't know. You think yeah. so? Yeah. What if he's, he's if he's not even the starting quarterback though? Is he doesn't matter.
0: Player? Just if being you... a legacy, that would that would yeah. do it.
2: Yeah, like if you asked me the same Who question. Who else would be
0: in that then? Let's like let let's let's toss him aside. Like sorry, finish your point and then let's toss him aside though. Because yeah. like like I don't want to do this on legacy terms, I want to do this like on who has the most I don't prominent think, status I don't on the roster right now?
2: Yeah, I don't think it's a legacy thing. I think it's just uh, what name is going to stick with the general population the most, who's going to garner the most interest. Like, everybody showing up at spring practice at UW, like, who are they really keying in on watching? Sam Heward. Sure. And so sure. I would make the same argument. Like, if this happened almost 10 years ago when Jake Locker was a freshman and didn't even play, Isaiah, Isaiah Standback was the quarterback. Jake Locker was a redshirt freshman. You go and see those photo lines after the spring game. Who is everybody lining up to take photos with? Wasn't Stanback. It was Jake Locker. He's like that local kid that people have watched play high school. He's got national attention as a recruit. that's Sam Heward. I think he would be the person that people would be like, yeah, I want to get an autograph as a freshman Sam Heward. It's like, you know, you get a rookie signed Ken Griffey Jr. card and it's like, holy shit, I've got a rookie Ken Griffey Jr. autographed card. I've got a, you know, autographed Sam Heward cleat when he was a freshman or whatever, you know, I think there's an element of trying to get in on something before it is big that that garners some hype and excitement. So I, I do think like my answer to your question would be Sam Heward. If I had to go outside of that, I don't know. ZTF had a really good year, but the injury thing, I think takes it down a notch. Trent yep. McDuffie, Eddie, Kyler Gordon's a local kid would garner a lot of attention too. but there's nobody really on the national stage. It's you don't have, you know, like a Buddha Baker would have been a huge one. A Jake Locker would have been a big one. It's going to be like these low. I, I, the way that I see it in practice is going to be leveraged by local businesses and local people really paying for access or goods from a particular player. And the, the kids that are going to be able to really garner the, the most attention are going to be the local ones. I think
0: the hometown heroes like JT Tumalo.
2: Yes, precisely. Hopefully he's listening. I'm sorry. I don't want you to break your legs. That was immature of me to say, <laughs>
0: Walking it all back. I got it. I feel you. My vote would be Trent McDuffie if it was not going to be Sam Heward, I guess. So um, I just think he's going to be, he's like as surefire of a talent as you can have at this level. Um, UW is such is is promoted widely as DBU, especially on the West coast. Um, So I think the promotion behind that would help him. um, and Kate Otten would be a good one. I just don't. He's not like the type of guy that's like very flashy or like. Personable. I'd end that sexy. And I mean, George a, Kittle is, but like, you know, like you for you heard an interview with Trent McDuffie, dude, like that guy is well polished, like good in front of a microphone, good in front of a camera. I think he would. I think he would knock it out of the park with like, I think Eddie's almost on the along the same lines of um, yeah. Kate Otten. Like I I think he's he's somewhat personal, a little bit more than Cade, maybe, but like not not nearly as polished as I think Trent McDuffie is. And I think the whole DBU thing, like death row thing, like is like a that's a real yeah. promoter type thing for for the Huskies and especially Jimmy Lake being the head coach and being a defensive backs coach in the past. I just think that, that would that would benefit someone like Trent McDuffie a lot. Yeah.
2: I think it'll be really interesting too to see how the different demographics move towards different players on the roster. Like as we're talking about this, I think about, you know, someone like Trent McDuffie is going to really garner the most attention from the younger generations. He's going to relate to them a lot more. Mm-hmm. He's a, you know, really flashy player, well-spoken and, you know, surefire NFL guy, but, If I tried to, you know, generalize and stereotype the boosters at UW as 55-year-old, 65-year-old white male, old school, traditional football fan, Kate Otten's my guy. Sure. (laughs) So it'll just be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I think UW's in a good position to take advantage of it, to Justin's point. We have, a, you know, and that's, UW's already kind of been marketing it that way with, you know, they just had a tweet
0: like two days ago.
2: All the local companies on the tweet, you know, Starbucks, Amazon, Nordstrom, Costco, Alaska Airlines, Microsoft. So how much those companies get involved, I'm not sure, but it'll be interesting. Like, I really think if I could do it ideally, I would like to have parameters around it that just make it so that Kids can make money off of autographs. They can make money off of promotional appearances at local businesses. They make money off of Jersey sales. So when everybody and their mom was wearing number 10 from 2008 to 2012 or however long it was, Jake Locker gets a stipend for that. That's the way that I want it. I don't want NIL to just be the loophole that all these boosters and companies funnel you know exuberant amount of money to these kids for not really doing anything
0: right yeah i think we all share the same worries about it and i think kind of like the mariners until we see see it proven we're not really going to believe in it so i think we're all
2: skeptical it's going to change college football a lot that's for sure no
0: doubt no doubt yeah i'm i'm hoping that it reduces the parody but it definitely like you said could just like
2: make it even more yeah make it
0: even worse so we'll see it'll definitely be a storyline to watch um not only the rest of this this off season but going into this season and for the next couple years to come i'm sure a lot's going to change within this whole nil name image likeness um parameters type thing so we'll see all right anything else you guys want to touch on tonight
2: nope i think, I think i've out there. sufficiently put the audience to sleep with my husky rants
0: it's honestly super knowledgeable dude like if people are falling asleep to that then they're just not husky fans or not i learned i learned that, some so. stuff
1: about recruiting so super helpful
2: okay. nice well i'm happy okay. to help
0: you're well you're well versed man we all appreciate your insight it's good All right. Well, Justin, again, welcome to the podcast officially. I know that we've had you on here a number of times. If you want to do a quick shout out to your EPL podcast, go ahead now.
1: Uh, Yeah, Over the Top EPL available on all platforms that you can find this podcast. And we will be doing a Euros episode too. So if you are into soccer, make sure to check that out. The Euros have been nuts. If you guys
0: are not paying attention to the Euros, now is a good time to start paying attention. We're getting into what the quarterfinals. That's correct. So yeah, that stage gets gets pretty juicy. So definitely take a listen to, to Justin and Kyle. Yep.
1: Yep. And Sam's Kyle's favorite, podcast. no ties. No ties in this stage. So we go to PKs. That's right. Yeah. Real soccer. There's still extra time though. There's extra there is, time there is. PKs. Yeah, yeah. No
0: ties
2: i'm all no on time. team extra time extra times exhilarating <laughs> get to those pks baby
0: except when, when wando misses a sitter in extra time
2: or when mbappe just kicks it right to the goalkeeper
0: <laughs> hate to see yeah france had a bit of it. a shocker france had a bit of a shocker go
2: switzerland
0: good good for switzerland that was that was quite the upset All right, folks, I think we're going to wrap here. Thanks for listening, folks. As always, we appreciate the support. Subscribe and follow if you haven't already and leave us a message via the anchor link in our description. Until next time.
2: Go Sounders, go M's, go Hawks, go Kraken, and go Dogs. The Kraken.